All right. That's enough fun. Ready? I was telling this group that that side filled in well, you know. We got to need some more people in the middle here. We know some of the stories of people that are away today and some of the things going on in their lives. I hope you take inventory and take care of your friends who are not here for various reasons. Uh, this morning, I want you to imagine that your phone rings and you look at the caller ID and you don't recognize it. Do you ever, does that ever happen to you? Certain times a day, you know exactly what's going to happen. The other day I got this call and uh, I usually say when I answer now, I've just gotten really mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, true confession here, all right? I just, I answer and I say, well, why don't you go ahead and, and give me your uh, social security number and your credit card number and I, I'll steal your money. You know, so I mean, sometimes I answer that way, really. <laughs> I'm serious. It is, it is funny to watch a response on the other end. The other day I looked down and I noticed that it was a call from uh, Washington and I not D.C., uh, Pullman, Washington, a little town out there where there's a university. And when I saw it, I thought, boy, I better be nice because I know some people in Pullman, Washington. It's not on my caller ID. So I answered it, you know, nicely. And, and fortunately, it was a reference on a guy that he, he put me down as a reference for this really important job. And I, I, later, I became, you know, enjoyed the chat with the lady and, and uh, became friends. And so we, we chatted a little while, and, and I, I told her, I said, I almost blew this when I answered the call, okay, because I almost answered it and, and uh, missed the opportunity to uh, give you this reference. So this morning, I want you to imagine that you received a call. And it brought news like what we're about to hear from Romans uh, chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And I want to come back to that phone call to you in a minute. But first, let's listen to the scripture in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? As we continue in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So, Father, take your word now and 
bring it home to our hearts that we can understand correctly and more deeply and personally our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the telephone rings and you look at the caller ID and you don't recognize it. But you answer it kindly and you say, hello, and they say, so is this, and they call you by name. And you say, well, uh, who's calling, please? And then they say, well, I'm trying to speak with, and they call your full legal name and cite your address. And by now, you're getting real suspicious as to what homework they've done so that they might sell you something. You say, well, I still need to know the purpose of the call. And the person on the other end says, well, my name is Ian Brown, and I'm calling on behalf of Angus Buchanan. I don't think you've ever heard his name or met him before, but there's a reason that I'm calling because of his estate in Scotland. And you say, well, sure. If you really want to talk to me, why don't you just go ahead and call my attorney? His name is John Vincenzi. Some of you know John and Jane. They sit right here. Uh, I was planning on watching his response as I said that this morning. You call my attorney, John Vincenzi, and uh, you can find him in in a uh, simple Google search. And He's my attorney. Give him a call. Thank you for calling. And you hang up. Well, about an hour later, you get a call from John. And John said, did, did you get a call from a guy with a funny accent? And, and he was talking about some estate of a guy named Buchanan. And said, yeah, I didn't really believe him. John said, well, you need to believe him. Because here's what happened. Uh, he was in the war, the great war with your grandfather and they were on a few joint missions and he said that at least two times your grandfather saved his life and they became great friends and over time his estate uh, had grown to a phenomenal size with properties and millions of dollars, I should say millions of pounds and all of his relatives are dead. And recently he sat down and said, I want my estate to be directed to an heir. And he called your grandfather's name. And so it's real. You own property in Scotland. And you have millions of pounds in your estate. You need to go and claim what's yours. Now, maybe you like dreaming that story, but it is all made up. But there's one in Romans 6 that's real. It's about your inheritance. It's about what's been given to you. It's about a very personal relationship with God. And people go to church, and they find themselves listening to preachers talk about problems and answers to those problems, but this morning, I want you to take an inventory in your own heart of what you have inherited and what is real. Not just a dream, but real. 
Let's look at that reality. First, you'll notice that his death is our death and that his life is our life. That is reality. Back and forth he goes and he says, uh, don't you know that when Christ died, you died? And when Christ was raised, you were raised? He had just gotten through talking in five chapters of building the case of creation and understanding justification by faith. And he had just said that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. But when Christ lived a perfect life and gave his life, he offered a gift to move us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And now he says, you can understand your inheritance by understanding your union with Christ. He uses an example that we Baptists like. We even quote it when we baptize someone. When he says, don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into his death were also buried with him, verse 4, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I remember the first time I baptized, the pastor didn't tell me what to do. And I had led this guy to Christ, big tall guy. And the pastor said, you got to baptize. And I was in college, first time I ever baptized. I got in the baptistry and I started to put the guy down under the water. And I saw the steps. And I realized, you know, this is not going to work. And so as I started to put him under the water, I just creatively, you know, 19, 20-year-old guy, kicked his legs out and, and, uh, and put him down under the water, and I was strong enough to raise him back up. And I didn't know what to say. I had heard my preacher years for say, you know, uh, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and upon your public profession of faith in him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I remembered that, so I got that part down. And then as Years went by and I learned more about baptism and I listened to more pastors and what they said. I found myself saying, demonstrating. I was trying to figure out the right way to quote this verse at a person's public profession of faith. Demonstrating that you were buried with Christ by baptism and you were raised to walk in a whole new life. Many of you have been baptized by the method of our preference and conviction, and that is by immersion. And what a great picture it is of going under the water just like Jesus was put in the grave and being raised up out of the water to have a whole new life. Now, the water doesn't save you. I have this ring on my finger, and believe it or not, I've been able to have the same ring now for a whole bunch of years. I'm not going to tell you because you'll figure out how old I am. All right, but a whole bunch of years. And KK and I picked it out and they, they matched. It used to have a little uh, shiny part on it that doesn't shine as much anymore. And when she picked it out, she said, I want to pick out one that's real shiny so that when you're preaching, everybody will know you're married. All right, so, so that's why. But the ring that we exchanged when we were married did not cause us to be married. The ring was there as a public demonstration and declaration to others that we are married. 
In the same way, water doesn't save you. If you didn't know Jesus when you were baptized, you just got wet. But if you know Christ, you're giving a public picture of a spiritual reality. When Christ was dying, I died. And when Christ was raised up out of the water, I too was raised up to have a whole new kind of life. That's what Paul's saying here when he's talking about their identity and their, the wealth of their inheritance of their union with Christ. He says, as many of us have been baptized, he's, he's not really talking about the water demonstration. I believe he's talking about the spiritual reality of being baptized in the Spirit into Christ that is publicly then displayed through physical baptism. Has that ever happened to you? Do you know him? Have you come to Christ and you realized that you needed a sinner and you said, oh, I need to do something with my sin? And he said, you give it to me, we'll make the great exchange. The one who knew no sin, you sang it this morning, will become sin for you that you might know the righteousness of God in him. Don't miss that first line, I think it is, of Jesus Messiah. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, he who knew no sin became sin for you. And as he goes through this great exchange of talking about his death, our death, his life, our life, Maybe you should either use the personal pronoun, make it more singular, I, or even put your name in there. Think about it. Do you not know that all of us, even me, have been baptized into Jesus? I was baptized into his death. Do I realize that I was buried with him by baptism so that I might be raised to walk in a whole new life? For if I have been united with him, verse 5, in his death, then I should respond a certain way. I should know for certain that I've been united with him in his resurrection. And I can know that my old man, my old self, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, might be brought to nothing, so that I would no longer be a slave to sin. This morning, I don't know if you find yourself in some habit or if you find yourself in some demonstration of something that is not Christ-like, maybe like the way I answer that phone and say, oh, you know, who is it and uh, give me your credit card, you know, but do you find yourself needing new power, new perspective, new life? The scripture says here that Christ, when he died, you were unified with him in his death and in his resurrection. So let's look at this response. Verse 4 says that we are to walk in newness of life. I love that word walk. Paul uses it a lot. It, it literally means to arrange the affairs of your life. But when, when we use that translation of walk, it simply means just put one foot in front of another. Just a very daily thing where you're walking. Some of you are walking a little slower now than you did years ago. But you're still putting one foot in front of the other. And he said, we find a new identity in Christ so that we might walk in a brand new life. Then he says in verse 6, here's our response to understanding this union. We know that 
We know, it's confident, we know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be a slave to sin. This morning, do you understand the reality that when he died, you died? And your old man, I wish I could draw you a picture this morning. Uh, let, me, let me draw it for you right here in three levels, all right? The body, the soul, and the spirit. In your body, there's a brain. And in your brain, there's all kinds. Really, there is. Come on. In your body, there's a brain. And in your brain, there's all kinds of storage of things you have connected, those little snaps that we, we see our kids when they're learning new words and they're, they're learning how to say things and put terms on things. And through your life, you have heard things, you have felt things, you have chosen things, and they became a pattern. And that pattern that you've developed can become driven by your self-centeredness, a pattern of very fleshly seeking for your own good and nothing else. But the scripture says, when you came to Christ, you made a great exchange. And that old man died with Christ. And God gave you a new life, a new capacity. Now, those programs are still there in your computer. And they still try to run and take over the screen. But you have a new power now to run a whole new program and to understand that you don't have to be a slave to sin. Have you ever been told that you really don't have to sin? You really don't have to anymore. Because you have an overcoming power in you. Now, will you? Yes, you will. It's like the guy that came and said, Pastor, you know, I've, now that I've become a Christian, I just seem to be sinning more than I did when I, before I was a Christian. <laughs> and I had to grin and say, no, you just recognize it now. Because before, you were just going through those things and you didn't even see it. And now you see it because you understand the Christ life in you trying to call your attention. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be defeated by that. You don't have to do that. That's a lie. Oh, the, the evil one has a, a series of lies that he tells. He first says, hey, a little bit won't hurt you. Then he says, come on, everybody's doing it. Then he says, you can stop when you want to. And then he says, come on, you deserve it. And then the last lie, I got you. You can't go back now. This is who you are. No, that might be who you were. But that's not who you are in Christ. For he has given you a whole new direction. Look at what it says in verse 11. It says that now that we know Christ, we can expect, though there will be conflict in us, we don't have to be a slave to sin. So now we should consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I know we have at least one accountant in the room. And Paul was willing to often use accounting terms when he says, this is the appraisal you should give it. This is the evaluation you should put on it. 
Now that you know when Christ died, he was taking your sins. And when he was raised, he was raised to give you a whole new life. Here's how you put value on what happened. Consider this. Make this your spiritual evaluation. That now you no longer have to be controlled by sin. But you are dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. The old preacher said it right when he said, dead men don't sin. Now that you're alive, you can expect a war, but you can also expect a victory. Because there's not only the reality of resurrection and the response of choosing new life and not being controlled by sin, but now there's a whole new reign. There's a whole new ruler Look at it. He personifies here in this passage the creator, the reign that God has put in our life. Look at how he says it. He says, there's a new king who reigns. There's a new master who has different slaves. There's a new employer paying a different kind of wage. There's a new general commanding a new kind of army. And there's a new tree bearing a different kind of fruit. Let's look at those. He says, first, there's a new king who reigns. Verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body. That word is an idea of a king, a ruler, who is in charge of something. So this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, you didn't just ask Christ to be your ticket to heaven when you died. I don't know, it, it may have been you were fearful when you first came to Christ. There is a sense in which we know his holiness and we know our sinfulness and we know we need a savior. I, as best I could as a little boy, all I knew is I didn't want to go to hell, I wanted to go to heaven. And so I wanted to hear what happened when Jesus died. And I was told about this free gift that was offered that I could be forgiven. And I responded in a childlike way, wanting to put my trust in Christ. But now I hope that your faith is more than just a ticket to heaven when you die. I hope that you have an indwelling awareness that there is a king and he needs to be ruling over our lives. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You know, it's interesting. We, we say to our children, sex is wrong, sex is wrong, sex is evil, sex is wrong. And then we say, we get married, you're supposed to enjoy your sexual relationship with your partner. You know, I mean, it's so contradictory. Uh, sex is not wrong. The passions are not wrong. They are God-given passions. What's wrong is when those passions are not under the control of the spirit and the intent of God. And he says, you don't have to obey those passions. You don't have to be enslaved to those things. But now, since you have a new king, let him rule. Let him reign. Verse 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you're under grace. You've got a whole new king now. And I would encourage you to regularly, as a part of your prayer, Say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. I've made room for you to be the king. I've gotten off of the throne, and I've asked you to sit in the ruling place of my life. 
and I'm asking you to be the king. And that we will hear Romans 12 that coming back to our lives as we submit ourselves fresh to God. And we recognize that that is the reasonable response of worship to see who he is and to respond and ask him to rule and reign over our lives. So there's a new king who reigns. It's interesting, Paul, two times in this chapter 6, and I, I meant to say this at the beginning, I would encourage you as a growing Christian to spend a lot of time in Romans 6, 7, and 8. I, I would encourage you to spend a lot of time here to see how Paul is applying because it's almost like in the first five chapters, he's building the case of what it means to be a sinner in Adam and what it means to be justified by faith through Jesus. And now in chapter 6, for the first time, he starts commanding us. He starts instructing us. He starts calling for our personal response. And two times, he says, with great emotion. Let me show them both to you. In chapter 6, verse 1, no, it's verse 2, all right? He says, are we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means. I would encourage you to read that in different translations and watch the strong response of, so you're just supposed to keep on sinning because you know he's just going to keep on forgiving? I mean, we sang about it this morning again and again and again and again. So is that what you're expecting? And not a positive way of refreshing grace and mercy, but in a presumptuous way of just thinking you can live like you want to and he's just going to forgive you again and again. That's not the way grace works. And then he comes down and he says in verse 13, what is that, 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're under the law and not under grace? We're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace by no means. So once again, he emphatically gets in our face and says, don't live that way. But instead, let the new king reign. Instead, let the new master control his slaves. You say, that's, that's strong language. Well, this is a different century, a different era a different understanding, but the readers of this clearly understood slaves and masters. And watch how he puts that into our spiritual life. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slave to the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? You get to choose whose slave you will be. You get to choose what you will give yourself to. You get to choose to now be, verse 17, thanks to God that when we were once slave of sin, we have now become obedient from the heart. Our heart wants to, from the standard of the teaching that we've been committed to. And we have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms. I think that's at least the second time in the book of Romans he said, look, I'm just trying to explain this to you and illustrate this to you in ways you can get. There's a new king and he reigns in your life. There's a new master and that's the one you serve. But as he continues to show we don't have to be controlled by evil, we can live in grace, he says in verse 20, you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness. 
but the fruit that you were getting at that time of the things that now you're ashamed because the end of those things is death. I don't know about you, but I hear someone preach and they preach on no regrets. I don't know for sure that I'll ever preach a sermon called No Regrets. I have plenty of regrets. I have plenty of times that I have not allowed the king to rule and reign in my life. And I have plenty of times that I did not receive the power that he offered to live unto righteousness. But I'm thankful in those plenty of times he helped me see that it was not by works of righteousness that I've done, but according to his mercy that he had saved me. And Paul here says, you were slaves to sin, but the fruit that you were getting from those things, you're ashamed of now. I think that was in some of the music this morning. I thought, you know, I need to stand up as pastor and even tell you why we sing. Uh, Do you know why we sing? We try to sing words and phrases from Scripture and ideas about how God works in our present world. And we tried like a glass full of sugar down at the bottom. We try to stir it up and see if we can stir up in one another through the words that we're singing, the truth about who God is and how we know him and how we serve him and how we walk with him. And Paul here is trying to stir that up in them and say, look, there's a new king who's reigning. There's a new master who's over the slaves. There's a new wage that you're receiving. He's talking here about a guy going to work. I have a grandson that's just started a new job. And it's kind of funny when you get your first paycheck. I mean, they told you what you were making per hour. And you did the math. And you got all excited about what your check was going to be. And then you get the check and you go, that's not what they said they were going to pay me. And you start looking carefully at all those little deduction things that are up there and, and what you really received. And you think, well, I thought I earned this, but it looks like I only received that. Oh, that's such a pattern of life. When we think we can do this, but we received that. That's why one of the verses most memorized in Romans, verse 6, 23, says the payment of our sin is death. We deserve the wage of death. But Christ took that death for us. And the free gift that has now been offered to us is eternal life in Jesus We have a new employer paying a new kind of wage. We have a new general commanding a different kind of army. I didn't know what order to put these in because now we got to back up and look at that general and how he works, all right? It says back in verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself as those who've been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. What he's saying is, Present your hands, present your feet, just like a soldier presents his, himself in his armor and he goes where the general says go and he does what the general says do. Do you recognize this morning that every skill and gift you have 
every life experience you have, even the sin that you have committed, when offered to God, he takes it and he uses you in his army. Why did I say even the sin that you've committed? Because all things really are working together for good. And when you have experienced some kind of deep pain and heartache in your life, you are the very person that can minister to somebody else who's experiencing that. We've never had a miscarriage. But those of you that have, have an incredible ministry to someone who has. And you can go to them and you can understand them and they'll know you get them when you do that. And the same has happened for any other type of pain, disappointment, loss in your life. That when you come to Jesus and say, here is all that I am and all that I have, he takes it and then he uses you as an instrument for righteousness now using your skill and your gift to be deployed in the work of his kingdom. So there's a new king, there's a new master, there's a new slave, there's a new employer, there's a new wage, there's a new general, there's a new army, there's a new tree bearing fruit. I, I looked at it in verse 21. I went back to the original language because I, I, I didn't even remember reading about this fruit stuff before. Verse 21 says, the fruit of what you were getting at that time is the things that you were ashamed and the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God and the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. I looked at it in the original language and you know what the Greek word means? Fruit. It's exactly what it means. Just straight up fruit. Now think about fruit. Think about fruit, you think about a tree. You think about a tree, you think about roots. You think about the growing process, you think about the time it takes, and you think about what happens when the tree, orange tree, bears oranges. And the apple tree bears apples. It's in hard class, okay, all right? And he says here, now that you have been put into a new root system of righteousness and life, you're going to have a different kind of fruit that you bear. So let's try to simply put that into practice. I've made a simple little list, and I want to ask you to follow through it in light of these scriptures in prayer. First, Lord, I thank you that I have union with the Lord Jesus. I have moved from death to life. And Lord, I thank you that because I was raised up with Jesus, I can walk a whole new kind of life. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to be controlled by sin. Though it tries to fool me and it tries to convince me, I don't have to live that way. I don't have to be controlled by those self-centered, overcoming desires. But now I am alive to you. I've been raised to a whole new kind of life. And as I present myself to my new king and my new general, and I say, I want to work for your kingdom, would you send me anywhere that you desire to talk to anyone that you put in my path and to tell them that I too 
am a sinner who've gone to the cross and understood that when Jesus died, he was dying for me. And when he was raised, he was raised to give me a whole new kind of life. So as pastor, under-shepherd, longing for all of us to follow the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus, hear me once again. You don't have to be controlled by anything or anyone other than the Spirit of God who lives in you. But that's the next couple of chapters in the book of Romans where it says, if you have not the Spirit, you're not His. Do you have Him this morning living in your heart? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you don't know Him that way, I invite you to Christ. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, I invite you to let this be the day that you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. But if you know him, listen to the good news on the other end of that phone call. You have an inheritance. You have a new home. You have a whole new way to live, but it's in a, it's in a different country it's in a different kingdom but it's yours and today you can say thank you Lord that when you came to live in me you came to change me from the inside out so live resurrection life in me and may I demonstrate that I was buried with Christ by baptism into his death And I was raised to walk in a whole new kind of life. Control me. Renew me. Deploy me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you find great delight in Romans 6, 7, and 8. This is not a series in the book of Romans. That's a standalone message. But I encourage you to camp out there. Maybe even this week. And let the truth of your new identity in Christ overwhelm you.